You're listening to the Office Free Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Spencer, and each week I'll be taking you behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who have escaped traditional offices and built digital empires based on their expertise. everybody welcome to the office free entrepreneur podcast i'm here with a really great guest today uh chris martinez here from he has a really cool agency but we're gonna be talking a little bit today about uh, a new book he's got coming out on remote work uh which obviously in our day and age has been a huge change for almost everybody in society but um you know we've actually met a couple times we have a lot of mutual friends and you've actually been really helpful resource on like you guys run an agency and giving me some really cool resources. So um, I'm really excited to be on here. I mean, you reached out and wanted to record and I, I love that. Um, it's, yeah, uh, any, anybody who launches a podcast, ha- you know, having my own podcast, um, you know, it's, it, I, I respect you for putting it together. So any way that I can help you, uh, I'm all, I'm all for it. So thanks for having well, me on. Absolutely, man. So, so tell everybody about your company and how you guys make a dent in the world and let's, uh, let's rock and roll. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I own dudeagency.io and we work with digital agencies and give them the people, processes, and education so that they can take on more projects and scale profitably. And profitably is the key word there. Um, Most of our clients, uh, they are really, really good at selling and getting new clients for themselves. They're great at doing the strategy and helping their uh, business, their small business clients or small mid-sized business clients to grow, but they struggle with when it comes to the operations and the fulfillment. And so that's basically where we come in. And originally, you know, like we came in and we're like, ah, we're just going to provide designers and developers for these agencies. I also owned an agency that I started way back in 2012. I sold it last year. Um, But I was like, you know what, we're just going to come in and we're going to provide talent to agencies. And okay. what we learned over the years is that it's not just the talent that they need, it's the processes and the systems that they also need so that they can get the most out of the talent that we provide and t- actually be able to take on more projects and then make money from these projects. Because if you don't have the right processes, there's a lot of inefficiency, there's a lot of wasted time and a lot of wasted profit. So we came in there and we started engineering processes for them, giving them our best practices so that they can be more efficient and just, you know, essentially take what we've created and just use it for themselves. And then this third component of education came in uh, last year where basically we realized, you know what, a lot of agency owners just kind of fell into running an agency like myself, you know, like I didn't go to business school. I didn't set out to own an agency. Um, and so we're kind of learning on as we go. And so we teach agency owners about what I call like the non-sexy part of running an agency, how to be a better leader, how to run your operations, how to hire, how to manage your finances, which is so unbelievably important in the agency world. So that's the third, that's the, the final component of it, um, that completes the people processes and education um, and all of that is really empowering agency owners to build the agency that they've always wanted to and, you know, live that dream life of being on the beach all the time. 
<laughs> I know we all we all want to have our our beach lifestyle. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, you're you're over in uh, like a Tijuana, right? So yeah, uh, so I live in Tijuana, so you know we're a couple minutes from the from the water. Yeah, um, I'm I'm in I'm in Florida, so we uh, I'm I'm a little further away from the water, but not much. <laughs> yeah, we're always close. You know, a couple hours drive. Never. Yeah, your weather's a little bit nicer though. I think uh, over there than over here. It's a little bit more humid here. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, so let's let's take it back. So, you know, you said you didn't intend to go to, uh, you know, to to start an agency, you know, be uh, one of those guys, you know. So, like, let's go back to kid. Like, did you know as a kid that you wanted to be an entrepreneur, or did you kind of fall into that? Like, what's that story? And let's let's start there and kind of walk our way through to today and and share that with everybody. Yeah, so I'm going to share some things that are might be uncomfortable for some people to hear, uh, but hopefully there's a few of you out there that can relate to the story. So when I talk about my childhood, I, I did always have this idea that I wanted to own a business. I didn't really know what that meant. So I like I wasn't the kid who had the lemonade stand or that was like selling candy, you know, at lunchtime. That was not me. Um, but in terms of like the background in the childhood. It was horrible. Um, very, very difficult being a young kid. Um, and just, you know, the home life situation was absolutely awful. I would not wish that on anybody. Uh, lots of physical and emotional abuse. Um, very, very challenging. And so, you know, like just having to deal with that as a young kid, um, just basically getting the shit kicked out of you all the time for nothing. Um, it's very, very difficult. And those are scars that I still have today. But in many ways, those are blessings because I see things differently. I appreciate things differently. Um, and I'm you know, con- constantly working on those areas of myself. Now that we have you know, a big business, we've got over 60 employees, we're growing like crazy. I, I hired, we started five people this week. It's like insane. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, when I got to like middle school age and becoming a teenager, trying to establish myself as an individual, um, you know, the abuse didn't stop, but the way that I expressed myself was getting into trouble, like a lot of, you know, troubled kids. Um, right. that's the only, that's the way that they get attention is by acting out because they're not getting the attention that they want at home. And right. so this is like early nineties. So my, uh, you know, being in a gang was like a big, big thing. And I grew up in LA. So like we wanted to be gangsters. And, and, um, so eventually that turned into, uh, you know, my best friends all in the same boat. We did bad things like stole, we fought. Um, and, uh, eventually, uh, some of my friends did get involved in the gang life. And so I got a firsthand view into what that's like. And, and ultimately, you know, they're just looking for family. That's what, what it really came down to. Their home lives were bad, if not worse than mine. But my saving grace was that I played soccer. I've always played soccer. I was a pretty talented soccer player. Um, and so I was, you know, playing soccer four or five days a week uh, and only getting in, getting into trouble for two days a week. And I think that's the only thing that kept me from, you know, going down a wrong path or getting killed. And so after high school, like when I got to high school, sports took more, took over more of my life. Um, and I just kind of separated from the, the, the bad kids that I was hanging out with. And, right. uh, but after high school, I know that one of my best or my best friend at the time he got, who was very involved in the gangs, he was doing drive-by shootings at 14. You know, he would come to school and talk and we were, you know, we, we would like steal his parents' car and go joy- joyriding 
at that young age. Um, and he got shot and killed right after high school. Um, I don't exactly know all the details, but I'm assuming it was some sort of argument or a drive-by situation or something like that. So I have a very soft spot for people who didn't have a great um, childhood and right. people who, you know, like the deck is kind of stacked against you. Um, you know, I, I've just, I see so many people that write off certain kids and just be like, they're just bad kids. Uh, right. they're, they're not, they're, they're not bad kids. I mean, there are a very, very small percentage of people that mentally they're just not wired correctly. But most of the people who get into trouble, um, they had challenges that most people can't even relate to. And they don't have the support system to help pull them out, to help get them and maintain them on the right path. And so I've kind of always felt like the underdog. And I definitely have a soft spot for kids who haven't had the luxury of a support system. Um, And that definitely has shaped how I feel about uh, possibilities and the way that I've structured my business today. No, I I appreciate that, and I was actually born in Torrance. Uh, so, oh, dude, that's we, where I was born. Yeah, I was a, a little Margaret. Little, uh, was, little company of Mary. Company that's Mary, where, that's where. Yeah, I, exactly. That's where I was born, and uh, yeah, we left in '94, right after the uh, Northridge earthquake. Ah, perfect. So, I so, remember that like, very vividly. Yeah, it was. What a part of wild. Torrance did you grow up? Um, I went to Yukon Elementary, so it's so right that's across- like East. Yeah, that's East Torrance. That you would have yeah. went to uh, uh, Hull Middle School. Yeah, I was out. I I we I started third grade in Indiana, where my mom grew up. So like okay. I I was there like kindergarten through third grade at UConn Elementary. We were just like there was a power station right across the street from my neighborhood. It's funny. Mm-hmm. I, I just looked uh, at Zillow the other day at the house that we grew up in. Um, and a little tiny thing, way smaller than I remember it being as a whatever like six seven year old, whatever it was then. Yeah. And uh, but it sells for like eight hundred thousand is the 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 Zillow value. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe like that house is a little dinky house and it looks the same. It's been painted, but that's about it. There's no additions or, or, you know, fancy yard or anything. I was like, Holy smokes. Like LA is yeah. grown a lot than, you know, I mean, it's almost bet, better part of 30 years since we left, we left in 94. So I, I definitely have an appreciation for that. Cause like my, with me, like I grew up in a very like privilege. I, I was actually very opposite. Like I, I'd never had anyone abuse me or anything. Like I, I think I got bullied like once growing up, you know, from a kid who's older than me. <laughs> So it's like I had a very sheltered, loving family, even though my parents were split. But um, one thing I, I, where I got that perspective, you know, and it was a crash course, I would say, in perspective was I was a camp counselor at the YMCA. And like 80, mm-hmm. 80% of those kids were Section 8 welfare, mm-hmm. you know, kids that didn't, a lot of them didn't have a dad at home and all that yep. stuff. And so I just learned a lot about like, you know, I don't want to say like the other side of the tracks, but for lack of a metaphor, uh, they were kids who grew up on the other side of the tracks than me, and and you know they just had a different point of view. So I, I'm a big believer in, in in the same thing with people is that like there are some people who aren't wired right, but like 80, 90 percent of those, like if you look at people who get into drugs, especially like you could you know with this, I mean down here in Florida since I've been here, we've had like a lot of the opioids and the people get like a felony because they're high, and then mm-hmm. you know they get clean, and then it's like okay, now I've got to like rebuild my life, even though I got a felony record because I robbed over a thousand dollars or something like that. It's a really low like robbery limit to get it, make it a felony in the state of Florida. So I have empathy for that a lot more than the average person, but like taking that back. So like, you know, growing up in high school, so you, you play soccer, 
Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I'm glad that you, you had something to like kind of pour into like where, where did being a business owner fit into that? Like, was it, was it a way like you, you get out of high school, did you go to college or yep. military, anything like that? Or what, Yeah. What so, that? um, I always had good grades and this is the thing about all the kids that were like, not necessarily, uh, or, uh, the, you know, the kids that didn't have a bright future, uh, right. is they're all, they're all very intelligent. Uh, they just didn't have the structure. Um, so I always got good grades. And then when I went to high school, um, I maintained that, you know, I got into University of California, Santa Barbara, uh, UCSB. Okay. Go Gauchos nice. is a part of the UC system is a very difficult school to get into. And yeah. so it's nice up there in Santa Barbara. It's, really uh, it's beautiful. Fun. It's beautiful. So that experience, though, changed my whole life. And I would not be here had it not been for that experience. Um, and I know a lot of people, especially in our industry, saying, you don't need to go to college, which the cost of it is absurd, so choose one that makes financial sense. But for me, what college is, is it, it exposed me to other options. And this is one particular thing, maybe you've seen it as well, is that sure. when you grow up in an environment that doesn't talk about possibilities or doesn't show you possibilities, your view of the world is very, very small. It's almost like myopic. And you think that yeah. these are my options. These like three things are my options, right? And so when I went to college and I got to chat with all these um, other students, all these, all these other kids, and they had completely different backgrounds, like nobody had the same background as me. But um, And I was like, oh, I didn't know that was possible. Like I remember specifically, I talked to this one kid, his name was Noah, um, and he said that his father uh, worked in finance or something like that and then retired at 40 and then decided to have kids. So his dad was around for like all the events. And of course they had lots of money and stuff like that. And I remember like literally thinking to myself, like, I didn't even know that that was possible. <laughs> like, of course it's possible. Like you can, now that I'm an entrepreneur, like I know you can do whatever it is that you want to do. But when you're an 18 year old kid and you've only seen your friend's parents be uh, plumbers and electricians, like back then Torrance was very blue collar, um, you know, uh, working in construction, uh, I had one friend, Peter, and his father, Brian, is still a very, very close friend of mine. Um, he was like the one person that owned a very successful business. So like that, those are like the only things that I thought that you could do in life, right? And right. so then when I, when I went away to college and I met all these other people, just completely blew the doors off. And I was like, wow, I, I can do so much more than I thought. Um, and that's really when I, I knew that I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that one day I wanted to be a business owner. So where what did you what did you get your degree in like what sociology. Was track? sociology sociology okay yeah and and did you play soccer at, at college or no I didn't so uh, at the time UCSB went zero and twenty in their conference um, and I was really burnt out on playing competitive club soccer and I was like do I really want to try and play on this team like walk on um, and then just get shellacked every single weekend I was like you know what I want to take a break I just want to be a kid I partied my ass off. Um, I do wish that I would have played at least one season because I do miss that. There's two regrets that I have from college. One is not playing uh, collegiate soccer. And the second is uh, not studying abroad. I can, I I can dig that. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I had studied abroad as well. Like my, when I, when I was starting out in college, I didn't, I ran out of money. Um, so I got accepted into this really neat, uh, I went to Penn state because my dad taught there eventually. Yeah. Big 10, you know, it was great. I love the education, but like for me, that was a big thing of like, you know, getting to know that side of my family, like my live with my brother and my stepmom. So I actually lived at okay. home at their house during college, but 
one of the things that like one of my dreams in high school is like this, they had this program at Indiana that was, uh, um, was like part of the business program, but it was like, you got accepted into a house and they would pair you with a, uh, a foreign student, like coming mm-hmm. overseas to like here. So, and I, and I wanted to learn Spanish cause I had a really good Spanish teacher in high school who Great. I loved. And so I was like, oh, I can go in here. I'll live with somebody. Like I can help them with their English. They can tell me about their culture. And I've subsequently, I have a lot of, you know, friends down in Panama and Latin America. So this has worked out in the end. But at the time, I just didn't have the money. I couldn't get enough uh, scholarships. I didn't, I didn't have any money to go get them. And loans back then weren't easy like right. they are today. So right. I had to turn down that opportunity. And it was a, that was a turning point for me. But I ended up figuring out how to do it. And it worked out good. But the whole abroad thing, like every friend that I had that did that, is just a very different person than like yeah. people who didn't do that. So it's like I'm I'm kind of jealous. I mean, if I'm honest, I haven't really ever told anybody this. Like I, I I'm jealous of people that have had that chance to live overseas because you just you have an appreciation even when you travel. But if you travel for like a, over a week where you're like not just staying in the hotel all the time, but you're actually like mingling with the people and seeing like yeah. shops and restaurants, there's just a different perspective you get on life. And you know, I I think it actually makes me appreciate America a lot more while also still making me be like, hey, look, you know, we don't have everything perfect here and that's okay. Yep. Like nobody does. And 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 that doesn't make you a bad person or not a patriot or whatever people want to say. You know, like I'm happy I'm happily American, but I also know that, you know, there's, there's other things that we could do better. I yeah, agree hundred percent, you know. And I think that's just common sense. I mean, like, you know, there's no way that you can say like we have everything put together, nor does any other country. So that's what makes it fun is you can take the hodgepodge of ideas from one place and integrate them in another place. And then it's like all this new innovation can happen if everybody has an open mind. So it's kind of like one of my big ideas is like cross, I, I, I call it the cross pollination. So I think of it like bees where they cross pollinate plants yep. and then you get like hybrids and all this neat stuff. And I, we can nerd out about that forever, but um, <laughs> so girl, so going out, like what did you do with that sociology degree? Like how does that fit in? You're graduated from that college. That is always now, the question like, that people ask. Yeah, when you're a sociology yeah, I mean, major, people always ask, "What are you going to do with that?" Um, so, and it's a it's a very valid question. Um, so, I think right. let's break it down to what do you? Let, and I'm going to ask you specifically, what do you think sure. the purpose of college of a college education is? Well, for me, the purpose was 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 the network, right? So, like for me, everything's always a network, and I might not be the best person to answer that question, but no, but like it's, for me, there's no right or wrong answer. I, it's just yeah. it's a it's more of like a philosophical question: is what do you think the purpose of a university education is for? So, you say the network, yeah. Well, for network and and learning for me, learning to think, right? So, like everything, like I worked in a library in college, so I got paid to research projects for professors and stuff. So I got exposed to a lot of neat subjects, and I think that literally is like because obviously, like I could, especially now, like you know, I I graduated in two thousand eight, so some of this hadn't come around yet. But with all the online education of like Linda and all these places like Skillshare and all all this stuff, you don't need a college, you, you need them to tell you, you know, it's a certification, right? That's essentially what it is, but you can get those other places that are actually more practical. So to me, it's always like thinking and people. Uh, yes. and that's what I got out of college in my opinion. I, I, I'm right there with you, you know? So for me, um, the university of California system is very theoretical and I would always, there's two parts of it. There's the Cal state system and there's the U- university of California system. University of California system is very theory based and the Cal State system is very practical, right? So like in University of California, you have a degree in economics. In Cal State, you have a degree in 
marketing, or I think they actually have degrees in sales too. So it's, it's different. Um, and so I'm like you, like, I think that the purpose of a, a college education is to teach you how to think, right. And to teach you how to solve problems. And so sociology just gave me a framework for solving problems and, uh, it's come in very, yeah, it's come in very, very handy, especially living. Now I live in another country, um, in Mexico and Tijuana, which is like on the other side of San Diego. So it's not that far away from the United States. But I'm also able to look at things from a completely different perspective. There's one term that we learn in sociology. It's kind of like a core concept for being able to uh, to look at things from a sociological perspective. And for those that don't know what sociology means, uh, it's essentially looking at how societies impact your behavior and how you are as a person. So there's this term called ethnocentrism. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. I've heard of it. Tell me more about it. I, ethnocentrism. Ethnocentrism is essentially the belief that your culture is better than every other culture. Now, I can say that Americans are very good at being ethnocentric. um, But in order to objectively observe a culture or a society, you do need to be able to remove that ethnocentrism from your viewing, from your viewpoint, right? You have to be able to take off those glasses. And so that's what I do a lot of the times now as I'm running my company is I am putting on my sociology hat and I'm looking at ways that we can solve these problems because we have problems within the culture of our, not necessarily problems, but we have areas of uh, improvement within the culture of our own team, right? And not only that, uh, there's because most of our staff are located here in Mexico, there's a whole set of cultural standards um, that come along with being in a different uh, country. And then we also have issues or areas of opportunity with our clients and how we're relating to each other. So um, I I think that I use my sociology degree every single day as an owner. Um, And it's come in very, very handy in solving these big complex problems where there's not necessarily a blueprint to fix the problems. There's a difference between a blueprint in a framework. And my education gave me a framework, which is essentially a set of tools that I can use to try and invent a new solution to the problem. A framework Uh, is more like a, uh, like if you have a franchise, for example, if you have a McDonald's franchise, you are essentially buying a blueprint for that business, right? They give you all the processes. They give you all the tools. They tell you how to hire people. Everything is laid out for you. And not one is not better than the other. Obviously, McDonald's are very, very profitable businesses. Um, it's just different, right? And so my right. education has been very helpful in, for me because there's no business like ours that we can use as a blueprint. Everything is a framework and everything has to be created and invented from us. We can't copy anybody. We can use you know, some areas of other companies. So for example, I got inspiration from Design Pickle when I started Dude. And then I was like, okay, well, we can do things. But then very quickly, we learned there's so many things that we cannot do like Design Pickle. Um, and that's really what's helped us to grow. I, I, I love that because, I mean, that's that's definitely how I think. Like, I'm, I'm a very big uh, – and, and I'm, you know, I'm 35 years old. I've been doing this for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I've only recently, like, discovered how much fun it is to visualize things like Kanban style. So, like, mm-hmm. a Trello versus, like, Asana, which is, you know, started out more as a task – oriented view. And I, I'm actually really moving a lot away from that where it's like, you know, the CRM pipeline style point of view of things. And 
it's it's actually helped me um you know right as we record this i've been you know kind of nerding out about this because it's such an easier way to think and you know with frameworks i'm always building frameworks and i i have to tell this to clients all the time because a lot of you know client work that i have done in the past has been either brokering deals or doing like copywriting projects and a lot of people they it you know you can tell who's operating off frameworks and who's operating off of like smoke and hustle smoke and hustle like the smoke (laughs) and hustle model where you know they're you know they're 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 just flying by the seat of their pants and then they they wing it and they fix things as they come up and and i'm i'm not very like that stresses me out because then i'm like you know i feel like i'm planting landmines and i don't know where they are so i I, I get nervous about walking around so if i'm on a framework i can i can do that so i I definitely have an appreciation for that because I, i notice a lot of people especially people who come from a sales background or who haven't studied business at like a fundamental level or really people. Cause like in your case, people are the core element of business. Like every, every business is a people business no matter mm-hmm. what anyone says. So like what I always say to people is, you know, these guys, like, you know, I went and my degrees in finance and sometimes mm-hmm. I wish I'd gone in for psychology because you can, whether it's theoretical or not, if you have better frameworks to understand human interaction, Absolutely. You can work around stuff because you're looking at something from like one person's looking at a linear point of view and another person's looking at it from like the social interaction action point of view. Mm-hmm. And that's where like I notice, um, you know, even even with like, uh, you know, deals or agencies like people, one of the issues that I've struggled with over the years at different points and my I'm a people pleaser by nature if I'm not paying attention. So like people will say, but I thought you were going to do this. And it's like, well, no, we agreed to this. Here's our agreement. Here's the stack of deliverables that the contract called for. And then I end up doing more work because people have like, you know, they 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 sign a contract that they either didn't read, which I found out, or they had like these things in their mind that they didn't verbalize so that we could write them down so they would get done in an appropriate fashion. And mm-hmm. that's been something I think like just from a business perspective, I think learning to live with frameworks allows me to like, go in and say, hey, look. Is there anything else here that you needed? Is there like, what else, what else, you know, the question that I ask a lot of times, like in agency client situations versus partnerships, I'll say is like, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, eh, almost 80% of the time, they'll be like, oh yeah, but, but this thing over here, how would we do this? Or, you know, after it's all done, like, can you do this too? Like on an ongoing basis? And then it's like, okay, now we've gotten the truth on the table as Jim Camp would say. And you can move forward. So anyways, I, I, I appreciate that, that framework mentality. So going back, like you, you built up your, okay. So we're past college. You have frameworks. What did you start out doing? Did you actually go into business after graduation or no? Where where does that fit in? Yeah. So Santa Barbara at the time, the second biggest industry in that little college town, uh, Santa Barbara was like, I don't know, 150, 200,000 people. But the second biggest industry behind tourism was telemarketing. So if you think about it, there's really? a huge, there's a huge college uh, population there because they have the city college, they have the private university, and then they have UC Santa Barbara. They have a couple other little small colleges there. Um, transient population, they just have to, you know, be able to talk. So there was a lot of telemarketing jobs. So I had two telemarketing jobs while I was there, and the last one was nice. my final year of uh, of college. And somebody was like, "You should get into sales," and I was like, uh, "What is sales?" So then after I graduated. I literally went down because I, I just I knew that I wanted to work for a big company that had a good training program. I right. went down the Fortune 500 list, and I started at one, and I went all the way down, and and I started applying for any sales job 
that was uh, within a Fortune 500 company. And I got to like 260, like 67 or something like that, which was Pitney Bowes, which sold postage yeah. machines. And I got a right. sales job working for them. And uh, they had an amazing training program. I mean, essentially, I was, famous for it. Yeah. I was selling the, the most boring, unnecessary office equipment on the earth. Um, and I was pretty successful at it. Um, they gave me like a, you know, a book of business and then I had to go out and get new clients as well. Um, and eventually I ended up becoming a sales manager. I was one of the youngest managers in the company at the time, managing a team. I was probably the worst sales manager on earth when I started, but then I got better. I got some good training and, um, eventually I ended up leaving that, that company. But it was a great, you know, I think it was there for almost four years. It was a really, really good experience. Very enjoyable. Nice, man. That's, uh, and, that, and that's cool coming from a tough background, you know, and you start, you start getting some wins under your belt. You know, that's always good early in the career. Like, uh, I, think, I think a lot of people who start out that way, it sets them up well for the future, you know, where they can, uh, where they can figure things out along the way and learn and get training. Because that stuff, that's probably helps you today even i'm sure you know with an agency you probably still use some of that stuff you learn back oh yeah the sales the sales uh training that i learned there was invaluable i mean that'll be with me forever so what's so what's next after that so you you, you got the sales training you, you yep. leave as a sales manager like where where are we moving to now like like what's so the transition point then we're looking at around end of 2006 and i was like flying high i was like i'm the greatest salesperson ever i can do anything uh, and then December of 2006, my dad gets diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Actually, it was oh. liver cancer. Uh, I remember the night. I'll never forget the night when our, you know, I got the message from my dad. Hey, I need you to come to the house. We got to talk. And it was just an ominous, there was just an ominous uh, tone to the message. So me and my brother drive up there because my dad had been sick, but we didn't necessarily know what it was. And then he tells us that it was cancer and specifically liver cancer. So I go home that evening, Google survival rates, liver cancer. It's like 10%. Yeah. Um, definitely. Yeah. It's one of the worst you can get. <laughs> well, it's not the worst that you can get because um, that's coming. So then oh, two, no. two, and, two and a half weeks later, uh, he goes in for an endoscopy because he's just progressively getting worse. And uh, they discover that it's pancreatic cancer, which the survival yeah, rate the for that is like 1%. You know, it's, yeah. it's very, very low. Usually when they find it, it's already metastasized. That's why they thought it was liver cancer because it was already in the liver. Um, January 2nd, 2007, I take him into the emergency room uh, and they just look at me and they're like, he's, he's not going anywhere. He's very, very sick. Um, and so then, you know, he's in the hospital for about a week. Uh, it was very, very difficult. And um, December 8th or December, yeah, December 8th, uh, or I'm sorry, January 8th, 2007, uh, I, they release him on hospice to go back to the house, to go back to the house. Cause he, he didn't want to die in the hospital. And, right. um, so December 9th, uh, we have his brothers and his sisters over. He was the youngest of eight. Um, and, uh, he was only 59 at the time. And so, you know, we're basically at the house. Um, and that's his last day. And I was there for when he said his final words, which was just unbelievably painful. Um, and then December 10th at around 1220 in the morning, um, he died, you know, so three days before my 27th birthday. So that is what happened next. And then I was like, you know what? I want to start, like, I want to start a business, right? And so I decided I was going to start a soccer magazine, the worst possible time in history. 
um, I failed so much and lost all my money, like completely flat, flat broke. Um, you know, and then there's like emotional trauma that comes with that. And, uh, so the business had failed, uh, within about 18 months. And then I had to go looking for a job. I got a sales job. And, um, yeah. So that was that, that period. <laughs> it was like well, it's, two it's years. Tough, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's a tough thing. Cause you know, one, he's not very old and you know, you get that sudden diagnosis. I mean, like that's, that's like probably about as bad of a diagnosis in, in the cancer world as you can get maybe other than like that, that brain cancer. That, yeah. You know. I mean, you know, like I struggle with it because at the time when I was that age, like me and my dad were just starting con- to connect on kind of like a man to man level. Like he didn't necessarily right. see me as a kid anymore. I was making a little bit of money. Um, and he was, you know, getting towards retirement. I don't think he would have ever really retired, but you know, he, he was just kind of slowing down in terms of his ambitions towards work. Um, And so, you know, I I felt like that part of our relationship was just ripped away because he was, you know, he died. Um, So that was like one of the biggest things. And then I, you know, I would always, I would think back and I would be like, you know, what's worse, watching him basically decline in a month or seeing him suffer for years. So over the years, after I've gotten to meet other people who've lost their parents young, like I did, it's hard to say, you know, like somebody has MS or um, Alzheimer's or something like that. You know, it's just like a slow decline uh, or even yeah. breast cancer, you know. So like 2012, um, I ended up uh, right when I started the agency, actually, I joined this mentorship program that paired up kids whose parents were sick with cancer or had died with cancer with an adult who had experienced something the same. And so I met Patrick through this charity. Um, his mom, Georgina, had been battling breast cancer for four years. And wow. when we met, um, he was just, he was young. He was 13 years old. He had a younger sister too, he was 10. So, um, you know, I became a mentor to him. And then, you know, she'd been suffering for a long time and basically November. So, what is that? June to November, that's uh, six months. Uh, right. no, five, mo- five months after, um, she, you know, her body just stopped reacting to the chemo. She died December 8th, 2012. Um, you know, yeah. so just seeing that and, and just how terrible that can be. And then like looking at it from the perspective of a 13 year old kid and what that did to him, but also looking at how strong he was during that time. Um, it right. gave me uh, motivation, you know, and it's like, if Patrick can get through it, I can get through it. And isn't it funny how like that's the case? I mean, I think that's, you know, kind of always taking this back. You know, I had, my grandfather had a similar thing with he, he rotted away from diabetes and renal failure my senior high school. Yeah. And I always I always look at stories like this and, you know, a lot of people are sad and, you know, the, obviously the last year has been really hard for, you know, people lost friends or loved ones because of COVID or something else. And I always uh, I've always kind of been wired a little bit to, to um, uh what's the saying? Like, you know, turn shit into sugar or something like that. And, you know, I remember, I remember like with my grandfather and, and it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why I, for me, I I think, you know, with people, one of the reasons why I love people so much is because I see what people will do when they see someone else in trouble or who has like really severe need, whether it's like financial or, you know, somebody passes away and they're the primary breadwinner and people come together to kind of help. And like, I believe that's kind of something that, you know, it doesn't get highlighted as much because a lot of people do things quietly because they don't, they're not doing it for admiration. They're just trying to be 
kind to their fellow human. And mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of faith in, in that where it's like you see those situations, but where, where it's really powerful at times is that like when you know that you're going to die, you know, mm-hmm. and you've experienced someone close to you go through something like that, whether it's, you know, suicide or cancer or something that's like a real big, like shake you up kind of situation. I think it helps you appreciate things like, you know, like, oh crap, this person didn't show up for their call. And it's like, yeah, it sucks. It's annoying. But in the big scheme of things, is that really like going to yeah. rock my world that much? Like, you know, there's a saying I read in a book and I've always kind of taken it. I read it in college and it was like, ask yourself if you're even going to remember this six months from now. That's a great quote. And, and, and it's, it's like a, it's like a perspective on just dealing with adversity. Cause I was very, like I said, I was very sheltered. So certain things were really hard for me. And then other ones, like the situation with my grandfather, I mean, it was tough, but it's like where he was at, it was just like, it would be better for him to be gone at this point because his body is failing. He's in pain and he was fighting really hard to see me graduate high school. And I mean, it meant a lot to me, but at the same time, you don't want to see people suffer. So I think like for me, I've just always had a, a deeper sense of empathy because of these situations. And I think that makes it good for business. So, you know, like, especially with you dealing with agencies, you probably, you know, you, ha- you said you have what, 60 employees. I mean, you probably handle a lot of uh, what we would call a people problems, if you will, day to day and stuff. So let before we segue on and go in, I, I, I'm curious to see how, how that's changed because I know you've got the book and everything and remote work. So like, how do you guys manage that? Like, obviously the work environment, I don't know if it's the same in Mexico, if like, you know, you had to send everybody home to work at their house, or I don't know if it's the same kind of environment like it is here in the United States, but what was that like? And how, what have you picked up as far as like dealing with people out of this experience the last year or so? Um, Well, I mean, a lot of people are afraid. This is just my personal opinion or, and what I've seen, there's no I think data behind this, but a lot of people are afraid of hiring because they have fears uh, about themselves, right? So a lot of this comes down to their feelings of inadequacy uh, when it comes to leading other people or being responsible for other people. So that's the first thing is you have to address those deficiencies or perceived deficiencies within yourself um, because whatever whatever you're afraid of uh, about yourself is going to come through in your business and it's definitely going to come through into your people and it's going to prevent you from being able to grow. So you really do have to focus on yourself and being the best version of yourself that you possibly can. Right. Um, so when I started to focus on that, that's when the business stuff started to really kind of like just play itself out, you know, and I like dropped my ego, um, recognize that there's a lot of things that I'm not good at to really trying to focus on what I am good at. Um, and then just, you know, building a, a good company culture of amazing humans. So we kind of have a saying here, it's like, we hire amazing people and then we just get out of their way so that they can do the amazing shit that we hired them for. Um, and so, that's so awesome. That's such a good, know, that's such a good point of view. Yeah. Very rare. Like I I've dealt with hundreds of people and you might be one of maybe three or four that has that kind of positive. Well, optimistic, if you know, you know, if you know how to hire, let's, let's not like, I, I don't shy away. Like we, right now we only hire, it's between one out of 40 to 42 people. So 40 oh, wow, to 42 okay. people are going to start the process. Only one of them is going to make it through. Wow. So it's very difficult. Most people are not willing to put in that type of uh, work to find amazing people. But once you have those diamonds, literally just get the fuck out of their way. Like they're going to blow you away with what they're capable of. You set the vision, you set the mission, they're going to make it happen. 
Um, Man, that's so ins- that's so inspiring because I, I I love people and like that's like you know it's funny you you just brought up something that I I just was thinking about this morning as I was cooking my breakfast is like it the like I see my own bullshit stories that I tell myself mm-hmm. in other people so it's like I, I I've only really in the last like maybe two or three years have seen this in my own life like almost a hundred percent where anything I'm seeing reflected back at me a lot of times, like stuff that I don't like, or I'm annoyed by or whatever negative things. It's like, as soon as I switch to seeing the best in people, mm-hmm. I get that version. Cause I think we all have like good and bad traits. Like, we, you know, we're all very ambitious and productive on the one hand. And sometimes we're lazy. And it's like, what version of Brad do you get? Do you get the ambitious, happy, positive, optimistic version? Or do you get the guy that's burned out, tired and feels like he doesn't want to do anything? And like, I think that's more a reflection of us as individuals, like how we show up to other people. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sidebar too much, but what, like, so let me ask you this question really quickly. Yeah, of course. Which version of Brad do you think that you deserve to show to the world every single day? Well, I, I, I mean, I see that the, 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 the first answer to that is the obvious, obviously the ambitious one. And that's where I've well, been. Okay. It, so yeah, not that's everybody, I, not everybody is like you and believes that they deserve that. So a lot of people yeah. out there don't feel sure. like they deserve that success. They don't, they don't feel like they deserve the financial rewards. You know, There's a part of them that goes back to their childhood most of the times that tells them, you suck. You're not good yeah. enough. Your, per, your, your, your parent beat you up because you deserved it, right? So you have to, for like, you are very, very fortunate. For people that are like me that didn't have that background, you have to deal with all those demons first and right. prove to yourself or convince yourself almost that you are worthy of that success. And then you can bring, it's much easier for you to bring that best version of yourself to the table every day. Do you think that, do you think that like, you know, having to deal with those demons uh, and, and like kind of like a self-defeating attitude, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but um do you think that played a role in the soccer magazine failing back then? Uh, like, because you yeah. said it was pretty spectacular failure at oh, that man. time. Well, one, I just didn't have the business knowledge, but right. I was also very uh, stupid in thinking that I could do everything. And in some way, uh, because I ended up funding that business with life insurance money that I got from my dad. And I remember the day that the money ran out and I had to stop, I actually felt very relieved because I was so ashamed that I had this money because he died. Obviously, I would have given that money back plus every penny I've ever made to just have one more day with him. One more day. And so me, because of my mental state at the time and my inability to deal with those emotions, that was a, a thing that I felt like I needed to do to relieve myself of some of this grief. Now, looking back, it was stupid because I w- would like to have had that money. <laughs> um, right. But that was all I knew at the time, right? right. So, like, you, you just do what you know, right? And that was what I knew. Yeah. And, you know, like, my reaction um, to, like, I, I have, a lot of people are afraid of confrontation. I'm a fighter. I, I, I love to fight uh, physically and verbally. Um, like, okay. if, there was a, if there was a fight on the soccer field, I'm the first one in the scrap. Um, <laughs> so, that's... That's a part of my personality that I've had to tame because obviously in the real world, you just can't go around fighting everybody. Um, yeah, I'm so the opposite of that, man. Like I'm the diplomat like on steroids. Oh, like no. I, 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 I'm always like trying to like get everybody focused on the prize and like not get caught up in like the so, trivial arguments and the disrespect, you know, vibes. Like, like, you know, if you get like a, like some old school Italians and I'm sure like 
I, I've seen this with Hispanic people as well sometimes where there's a lot of like that machismo, I think is the word, yeah. and whatever in the culture. And I, I'm so the opposite of that because I'm just like, I want to win and I'm competitive. And this fighting bullshit is like getting in the way of us winning. So like STFU and let's get going towards the winning the match or game or whatever. So yeah. So funny. like it was funny, like I did this coaching course uh, for soccer one time to get a coaching right. license. And there was a, a uh, one of the teachers had been a coach forever. I mean, he was like in his seventies. Great, great guy. And he's like, there's two types of kids. He's like, there's one, you punch him in the, if he gets punched in the face, he's going to go and complain to the coach and complain to the ref. The second type of kid, if he gets punched in the face, immediately goes after the kid that punched him and tries to rip the kid's head off. And I was like, yeah, I think I know which one I am. <laughs> <laughs> like, he won't even make it a yard before I'm all over him um, seeing red. So, but yeah, so that's just my way. So there's there's positives and there's negatives to that, right? So like right. the negatives are you're going to wind up in jail or eventually somebody's going to shoot you. Um, the positives are that if the t- if the going gets tough, uh, you're not the type of person that's going to you know go hide in the corner. You come out swinging, and so that's one of the benefits that I've right. got from that. But I've it's always a work in progress of trying to tame the uh, aggression, right, and fighting people. Then another another negative thing that I think that I've experienced is people are very intimidated by seeing that side, like people like yourself who are who don't have that kind of like brawler mentality. They look at me. Um, and they look at me when I'm intense and aggressive, uh, and they get really scared or they get intimidated. Um, and especially in a work environment, you can't have that. So it's well, just see, something like, that I've me, had to work on. For me, it's weird. It's like, it's very internal, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and, and for me, it's, it's weird because I am, I am intense as a person. Like I'm very, I can be very direct, but I'm very much like I'm a super outgoing kind of individual. And one of the things like people are surprised at with me is like, when shit goes down, like I'm the guy you want in the foxhole because I'm not going to bellyache and bitch. I'll get mad, mm-hmm. but like I'm, I'm, I'm going to win. And it's like the Marines say it. It's adapted for eyes that overcome. It's like, I have a friend who's a Marine and yeah. that's one thing he told me is like, it, it, it's like, it's over. Like I, I used to say it as it's, you know, if you, if you come against a wall, it's over under around or through, but I'm getting to the other side. Like that is pre like, that's going to happen. That's just a matter of fact. And so that's where like intense people get me where, where I've actually, and I've actually had to grow in this a lot because there's certain personality types that I tend to work well with. And then Mm -hmm. other ones that I have to like adapt myself to, because to me, I, I like when people shoot me straight and I don't have to read minds because I'm good at reading minds and I hate doing it at the same time. It's very, um, (laughs) it's weird and inefficient, like from a communication standpoint. So like, you know, you, you know, you, you deal with agency people. I don't know if this is a, a, a issue in Mexico, but sometimes like if you're dealing with people in the Philippines, if they make a mistake, they'll disappear Yeah, and then you have to I've hire somebody that. new and, and that happens all the time. And it's, it's a common thing because like it's saving face is important and people sometimes don't want to deal with, Hey, I screwed up a big thing. And like, I'm sitting here, like it's more of a hassle to hire somebody new i'd rather just if you did this thing wrong like i'd rather just teach you how to do it correctly and then monitor to make sure that you understand and then we move on and you're not going to get fired like it's it's more of a unless it's like stealing money or something like that which that hasn't ever really happened to me but like it's always like with people and i and i think it's interesting especially in this world i love like one of the reasons why i love this podcast is because i pick up a lot of nuance off of tone of voice and and Mm -hmm. talking to people Mm -hmm. so i'm i'm the guy that if we spend more than two or three emails I'd rather just pick up the phone and call you for two minutes 
rather than like set an appointment and do all that long winded formalities. I'm like, let's just like knock this out. Tell me what you really think. And let's, let's win. Like, you know, that like it's, it, that's the competitor in me. So it's like, yeah. I'm not a fighter in the physical sense, but I'm, I'm relentless at like going after the objective. So I like intense people as long as they shoot straight with me rather than yeah. like, just get pissed off for the sake of getting pissed off. And then I'm like, dude, like, are you done? Like you, re- are you ready to get back to work and win? Or do you want to just keep like getting mad and stewing in your pissed off energy? You know? And I, and I, and I've gotten better at like that. That's something I had to learn. Like, especially in my twenties is I realized a lot of high achievers, that's how they vent their frustration as they get angry. And like, for me, I like roll up my sleeves and be like, okay, let's cut the bullshit. And like, let's, let's go win. And like, like I kind of zone in, like I get in the zone, like Michael Phelps, like that. I don't know if you saw that image from the Olympics a few years ago, that guy was like yeah. trying to troll him and he was so dialed in and you could see like the, the fury in his face. Oh, and he, I, he just I definitely, yeah, I definitely yeah. know what it's like to be in the zone. It's actually, so I studied sports psychology. I was a sports psychology major in college and uh, okay. it's actually a documented thing being in the zone per se, where like right. everything seems to slow down. You're just super hyper-focused. Um, you know, you don't have to think things just naturally happen. You're not reacting yeah, you just know what to do. You just, yeah, you just make it happen. Just, yeah. No, I, I love that. So let's, let's, let's go back. Cause like, I think this is, this is fun. So we, you failed, you got a job again. When did, when did dude come around? Like, like how long of a time frame gap were you in that job after yeah. kind of losing everything with the soccer stuff? So I know we're kind of running out of time, so I'll, I'll make this the quicker version. So, yeah, it's all uh, good. 2012, I basically get the idea to start an agency. I, I had prior to this, I had taught myself how to build websites because I was not a developer or designer, but I learned how to build WordPress websites using themes. And I started making them for myself for little projects here and there. And then I was like, hey, I started working for this, um, this company called Reach Local. I don't know, maybe some of you guys know who they are. And I was selling PPC services. Yep. And they didn't provide websites. And if the website was bad, then we weren't going to get leads for these clients. So, I was like, well, what if we started a web design agency? So I partnered with this, these guys. They had a team in the Philippines uh, and we launched. And uh, it was going well. I was moonlighting for the first year, basically working from 6 a.m. to 1 a.m. every single day. Um, then started oh. doing, yeah, this is, I mean, you want to talk about grinding. Like, let's see how, yeah, how, that's, how that's, much are you willing to suffer to get to where you want to be? So that's what I had to do for basically two years. I started doing the agency full time. Uh, for two years, that's what I was doing. The first year, I didn't pay myself anything. Um, then year two, I paid myself very, very little bit, just enough to survive. And um, then, uh, you know, our team was in the Philippines. And then uh, I moved to San Diego. And in 2015, I was like, I just, I got to find another team. And so I tried everywhere. It was like, I bet you I can find people down in Mexico, right? I don't even speak Spanish. Like I'm like 70% fluent now. So I went down there, learned how to hire people, built a team, we grew our agency. We had you know over 200 and something clients. Uh, I was managing everything with just five people, right? Um, and then in 2017, wow. I was like, I want to help other people to get access to this team that nobody even knows exists. Like so many people, yeah, in never- experience, they don't even think that people in Mexico have internet. Mm. So I'm like, I can be this bridge. Like I can connect agencies in the United States and Canada with this amazing talent pool, this hidden talent pool of people in Mexico. Right. And that's when we launched Dude, um, you know, literally ran Facebook ads to try and get our first clients, picked up some people, started learning. And uh, 2018, we went to the Traffic and Conversion Conference and got a booth. And it just kind of like blew up that year, uh, went from five to 29 staff in, in about nine months. And then wow. continue that success 
in terms of revenue into 2019. And we grew our team um, by this time. We, I think we finished 2019 with 800,000 in revenue, um, but we weren't very profitable. So we had to do a little bit of a reinvention again. And right. we created this concept called Bridge, Connect, and Deliver, which I talk about ad nauseum in my book. It's very, very important um, that you can that all agency people embrace this concept of bridge, connect, and deliver. But once we invented that, uh, clients were happier, churn went down, profitability went way up. Um, and moving into 2020, um, you know, we we uh, brought in some new people. We let go of some people, and uh, March hit. You know, shit hits the fan because of COVID. We had to do the lockdown thing, so our team's been 100% remote since then which right. in hindsight has been great. Um, it was great because one, it helped reduce some expenses. Um, and then everything started to bounce back in April and May. And then it's just been like a rocket ship since then. Um, and now we have over 60 staff and things are going very, very well. Um, very profitable as well, which is great. Chris gets to make a little awesome. bit more money. And the business is, business is a lot more fun too. So, well, yeah. you know, it's funny because like I didn't know about Mexico until Matt and Joe, uh, Matt Wolf and Joe Fear came down and hung out mm -hmm. with you that one time a couple yeah. years ago. Like, yeah. I was blown away by that because like I hang out with those. I've known I've known Matt Wolf for God, eleven year, ten years now since wow. like, like twenty ten. That's longer than I have. A real long, yeah, a real long time. And then he introduced me to Joe, and then. I, I, I'm pretty sure you probably know Brad Costanzo as well. Uh, I've actually uh, never met him before, but I've chatted with him a couple times. Yeah, you you would really like him. He's one of my best buds down there. He hangs out with those guys too in that San Diego crowd. But um, no, it's cool. So I mean, like I I feel like I always I always ask these these questions kind of going back, and I think that we've hit on a couple of them. But is there, you know, you mentioned like the regrets about not studying abroad and stuff. But like looking back at the business. Like, would you trade anything going forward? Like, I mean, I don't know if you have, if you're married and have kids yet or anything. Uh, fiance, no kids, two dogs. Fiance, no kids. <laughs> fiance, no kids, two dogs. Okay, cool. So you, you got fur babies. That's okay. Uh, so like when, you know, going up, you know, obviously, you know, your kids won't have to grow up the way you did, uh, you know, and, and whatnot, but like, what would you share with them kind of wisdom wise, like growing up and maybe, maybe we can take a different track of this, like with new entrepreneurs, like. You've hit you've hit the skids a couple times. You've done a few different things and started out with with diddly squat in terms of business experience. What would you tell somebody starting out now? Like, um, yeah, a couple things. Yeah. You know, so the first one is develop good habits um, and don't think that the business is going to solve all your personal problems. You need to have your life in order. Take care of your health. Take care of your emotions and your mental state. Take care of your relationships with other people. And when it comes to the business, constantly be improving. Not just about how to do the work, but how to be a better business owner, right? Right. So, so like, you know, when's the last time you read a book on leadership? Or if you suck at sales, when's the last time you read a book on sales, right? So it's just being intentional about developing habits that are going to help you to succeed in the business. The business, right. the business success is an outcome of developing good habits in other areas, right? So the financial success is a result of having those things in order and, and consistently delivering um, on the other areas of your life. So that's one. Uh, two is drop your ego. Just recognize that you suck at some things. And like, if you do recognize what those are and try and build uh, processes or bring in people who complement your weaknesses. Right. So that would be the second one. Um, and then the third kind of goes back to habits, but just 
understand that you need to be profitable and learn how to build a profitable business. Revenue doesn't really mean diddly squat. Uh, <laughs> it's all about what you keep, right? And I've yeah, got not the, what you make, what you keep. Yeah, I've gotten, to that. I've gotten to look under the hood of a lot, a lot of different agencies, hundreds of agencies. Um, and I'll tell you firsthand that a lot of the big ones that are on the stages and are talking about how amazing they are and how much they sell, they're a freaking mess. And it is shocking that they actually are still in business. They're like two weeks away from going out of business. And yet there are some people who are very humble, who don't talk a lot. And then you see how they're running the operation. And it's like a dream. Like It is possible to build the agency that you've always wanted so that you're not working 18-hour days like I was. Um, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of getting out of your comfort zone. It's 100% possible. And a lot of that is going to come from you learning and perfecting the non-sexy stuff of running an agency. Everybody loves to sell. Everybody loves to do the strategy. Not a lot of people are willing to put in the work to do the non-sexy stuff to get you get you where you want to go. Yeah, I, I you're speaking my language, man, because I I deal with that a lot as a as an advisor to people, and 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 it's 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 astonishing to me. Like I I always tell everybody, don't pay attention to the guys. Like if you if you see them quoting stats and it's not profits or or net margin or any of that kind of stuff, they're not really that good at business. Like like everybody I know who has money is always talking about margins and this is what we keep. This is what we have. Like we have a budget to reinvest back into the business to make it better, you know, a year from now than it is today. And that's what they're more obsessed about than like top line growth that may or may not drop most, the bottom line. Most agency you know? owners, I would say 80% of them don't know what their cost of goods is. They don't know what their net income is and they don't know what their churn rate is. Some of the three most important metrics of running right. an agency, those are the top six, but those are like on my list of the top six. If you don't know those, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it really does make it really does it really does make a lot of sense. No, I, I dig that. So, um, where can people go get their book? Um, you know, so this, this yeah, actually will come out you can, a little bit. Yeah, what's we, it'll you'll go be on Amazon? Okay, so you can go on Amazon. You can buy it there, or actually, you can go to neverwearpantsagain.com. My title of my book is Never Wear Pants Again. Uh, if you go to neverwearpantsagain.com, I'll actually give you a free PDF copy of the book. And then I don't know when this is coming out, but I am running a Kindle special. On March 17th, I think it's March 17th to the 21st, um, where you can get the Kindle version for a dollar. Um, but yeah, there's lots of different ways. And then I'll even give you my email. So if you just want to chat or if there's something that I said that really resonated with you, I'd love to hear from you. Um, yeah, you can just it. email me at chris at dudeagency.io. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for a great conversation, man. This is going to be a really great episode. Uh, that's already Likewise. Awesome, man. Talk to you soon, okay? Thank you. You've been listening to the Office Free Entrepreneurs Podcast. For show notes, extras, and to get the Million Dollar Backpack book where we give you the blueprint to escape your office, visit escapeyouroffice.com. 